What time is it? I'm not asking you to look at your watch or look at your cell phone. Some of you don't even wear watches anymore. How many don't wear a watch anymore? Isn't that interesting? We look at our phones. We have clocks everywhere. And I'm not asking you what time is it in terms of being 11.03. clock is behind you. I hate to have a clock in the back wall because I see it during my whole sermon. But what time is it in terms of God's prophetic calendar? What days are we living in? Now we turn to Matthew. Romans chapter 13. And we read verses 11 through 14. And we answer the question, what time is it? Romans 13, starting at verse 11. And Paul writes, Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. That's a good way to begin a sermon text. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us. Words by the inspiration of your Spirit. Words that we would be wise to take heed to today as we consider this question. What, what time is it? Ask that you would teach us, Lord, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you love it when you wake up in the middle of the night and you look at your clock and it's blinking? Isn't that frustrating? Do you think, okay, now I've got I've to get up and I've got to find out what time it really is. Because I've got to be up in the morning and so you've got to get up and find out what time it is and reset the clock. And then not only that clock, but if you've got other digital clocks in your house, you're thinking, I've got about five more to go when I get up. It's frustrating if you don't know what time it is, especially during the middle of the night. What time is it in terms of history? What days are we living in? In verse 11, Paul says, Knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than we believed. So notice, first of all, it is time to wake up. He says, the hour has come for you to awaken from sleep. Now, you might be tempted to think that Paul is writing to unbelievers here. That those who don't know the Lord need to wake up. But unbelievers aren't just sleeping. It's, it's worse than that. They're not sleeping. They are dead. And they don't need to be awakened. They need to be resurrected. They need to be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Paul is not addressing unbelievers here. He is talking to believers because in verse 11, he's writing to those who have 
believed. And he is telling them to wake up because some of them had likely begun to fall asleep spiritually. Maybe their theme song used to be standing on the promises, but for some of them it might now be sleeping on the premises, huh? Uh, Drifting off spiritually, no longer awake to their need and to their mission and to the things of God. It is possible for Christians to fall asleep, even at Bible school. Even in a seminary, even in a Christian school, where you are surrounded with spiritual things, and yet you are not in tune with the Lord, and you're kind of just drifting. The church at Sardis was reminded of this. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, Jesus said to this church, Wake up and strengthen the things which we remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So there's the danger of sleeping. Jesus said, wake up because you need to strengthen those things which are about to die. There's a great need to be awake. And Paul gives us then two reasons why we need to be awake. First of all, he said, because we've slept long enough. Verse 11, he says that the hour for you to awaken from your sleep has come. Reminds me of parents uh, trying to get their teenagers up on Saturday morning. Any of you parents ever said, you've slept long enough. It's time that you get out of bed and do something, huh? Wake up. Some of you parents are pointing at your kids sitting next to you, but I won't mention any names. There were several of you going like this or elbowing them. Time to wake up. You've slept long enough. And that was Paul's word here. And then he goes on to say we need to be awake because our salvation is nearer than, we, than when we first believed. Kind of an interesting use of the word salvation. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Because when we usually talk about salvation, we we, we often talk about it either in in the past tense or the present tense. We might say, I was saved when I was 15 or something like that. Or we might say, I'm so glad that I am saved today. So salvation, uh, looking back, salvation in the present. But here, Paul is, is speaking about salvation in a future tense. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. So in one sense, could we say that our salvation is complete? It is, it is the finished work of Jesus. And yet, in another sense, we would say... There is still more to come, isn't there? Peter talks about the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. More self, more, more grace given. Part of God's work of, of salvation. And think of what is to come. We will receive an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. We will receive a new body that will never die. 
A body that is glorious like that of Jesus' body. We read from Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We will never struggle with sin again. Our old nature, the flesh, will be gone. Won't that be a glorious thing? To never grieve our Savior again. Never fall short of the glory of God because that sinful nature will be gone. Our best days are yet to come. Some of you think, as I'm getting older, I don't know about that. But I'll tell you what, our best days are yet to come. When you know Jesus, there is coming a day when He comes again. We will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. This body of death will be transformed like His body. What a glorious day. The best is yet to come. And what Paul is saying here is is that ought to have an influence in the way we live today. That ought to encourage us to be spiritually awake because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So I want to ask you this morning, are you awake? I don't mean physically awake. Are you spiritually awake? Are you alert to the things of God? Are you living in a way that glorifies Him, that honors Him? If you aren't, then I'd say it's time to wake up. It is time to wake up because Jesus is coming again and we are closer to that day today than we have ever been. Now that's good eschatology, isn't it? You can't argue with that. You might argue about the millennium and about the rapture and all that. You can't argue with that. We are one day closer to Jesus' return than we were yesterday. We ought to be like the little boy who heard the family clock malfunctioning. It actually struck 15 times. The little boy started thinking, wait a minute. 15 times. So he came to his mother with with eyes wide open. He said, Mommy, it's later than it's ever been before. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It is later than it's ever been before. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So wake up. It is time to wake up. Secondly, it is time Not only to wake up, but it's time to dress up. When you awaken for the day, one of the first things you do, maybe not all of you, but we should do, is get get dressed for the day. You take off those pajamas, and you put on the clothes that you're going to wear that day. And and that's kind of the picture that Paul gives in, in verse 12. He says, the night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The picture of taking off and putting on. The night is over. The day is at hand. So you need to dress up, if we could put it that way. He says, first of all, we need to lay aside the deeds of darkness. If you're wondering what the deeds of darkness are, Paul gives them to us, some examples of them in verse 13. 
carousing and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity and sensuality, strife and jealousy. So he takes these six characteristics and he groups them together in three groups of of two. The first two describe those who live the party life, carousing and drunkenness. In Paul's day, the word carousing described wild drinking parties that lasted into the night. And in their drunken stupor, these men would parade through the streets with torches and loud singing. And many in Rome, no doubt, had come from a pagan background. Maybe that's the way they used to live. And Paul is telling them, now that you have come to know Jesus, you set aside that life, carousing and drunkenness that does not belong in the Christian life. And then the second group describes those who are given to sexual sins, controlled by lust and impurity. And Paul says these also need to be put aside. They don't belong in the Christian life. These are deeds of of darkness. And you lay that aside. And then the third group almost seems out of place to some in the midst of carousing and darkness and immorality. He talks about strife and jealousy. And maybe to some that doesn't seem to be as bad as, as drunkenness and sexual immorality. You know, a little strife, a little, little jealousy. Think of the damage that strife and jealousy bring. Relationships are destroyed through strife and jealousy. Congregations are divided through strife and jealousy. And when believers can't get along, that hinders the kingdom work, doesn't it? Because when the world looks at churches and believers, and there's division, and there's jealousy, and there's strife, and then we come with our message of peace and joy, and and look what Jesus can do for you, and they look at us and they say, Really? Is that what I want? But when you see a body of believers that is united together, love for one another, serving Jesus Christ, that makes the gospel all that much more appealing, does it not? We need to get along, brothers and sisters, right? And maybe there's disagreements in various areas of theology, but I'll tell you what, are we going to let that divide us to the point where the world looks at us and says, boy, if that's what it means to be a Christian... I don't want it. So put aside, lay aside the deeds of darkness. And then put on the armor of light. When you think of armor, you think of battle. And we need to put on the armor of light because we have an enemy who is wanting to bring strife and jealousy. We know that Satan will be at work wherever the Word of God is at work, seeking to divide and conquer There's armor, isn't there? Ephesians 6 talks about the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need armor because we're in a battle. Satan does not want the kingdom of God to go forward. So we lay aside the deeds of darkness 
And then we put on the armor of light. It's time to wake up. It's time to dress up. And then thirdly, it's time to wise up. It's time to live with, with wisdom. And we need to be wise to, to two important truths. We need to wise up to the fact that we need Jesus' power in our lives to walk properly. Look at verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying there? He is saying that in order to behave properly, not in these ways that he's described in verse 13, but to live in a way that honors Jesus, it, is, it happens as, as Jesus is working in our lives. It is His power, His strength that enables us to live the Christian life. I often think of John 15 where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. What does nothing mean? You know what the Greek word nothing means? Nothing. <laughs> That's what it means. Do we need the Lord in our lives? Do we need to be in His Word, huh? Abiding in Christ so that He is producing this fruit in us and through us? If you've got an apple tree in your backyard, you don't go out and tape plastic apples on the tree, do you? If I did that, my neighbor would say, yeah. We thought he was nuts. Now we, we know for sure he's nuts. How does fruit come? It, fruit comes from being connected and nourished, right? And when you're connected to Jesus, when you put on Jesus, when you're abiding in Him, when you're walking in fellowship with Him, there is going to be fruit in your life. So sometimes we're concerned about this end of the tree, or the branch. We need to be concerned about this end of the branch. Because when we're in Christ and abiding in Him, there's going to be fruit. That's a natural result of a nourished life, isn't it? So we need to wise up to the fact that we need Jesus' power in our lives to walk properly. And then we need to wise up to the fact that we must avoid making provision for the flesh. Look at the last phrase of this chapter. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. In other words, do not put yourself in a situation where you know you are going to be tempted. I think of, of Joseph, Pentateuch students, huh? When Potiphar's wife, day after day after day, was tempting him, the text says that he refused to lie with her or to be with her. He avoided that situation the best he could because he knew that would be a situation of temptation. That's what it means to make provision for the flesh, where we are putting ourselves in situations where we, we know we're going to be tempted. That's foolish, isn't it? 
That is not wise at all. And so we need to wise up to that fact that, you know, run from those situations, stay away from those circumstances. Rely on the power that, that Jesus gives us. It's time to wake up. It's time to dress up. It's time to wise up. That's what time it is. It's 11.21 now, but there's something much more important than that. What time is it? We are nearer to our salvation than we first believed. Jesus is coming again. I don't know when that day will be. And if you ever find me setting a date, I'm in big trouble. We don't know. Only God knows. But one thing we do know, we are closer now than we've ever been. And we need to be living in light of that, of Jesus coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you've given us. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's time to wake up. It's time to lay aside the deeds of darkness and to put on the armor of light and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will not make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Lord, I pray if there is someone here this morning that really needs to hear that word, wake up, that you would wake them up, that you would remind them that you are going to come again. As sure as you came your first time, Lord, you will come again. In spite of those who mock that truth, in spite of those who would say today, where is the promise of his coming? You are not slow, as men count slowness. But you are long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But one day, a judgment will come. You will come again. Lord, may we be ready to meet you on that day. Lord, encourage and challenge and strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.